The next topic is momentum. You're listening to BCJ, Victoria College Chat. Well, I've not done one of these for a while, but CIE in their infinite wisdom have decided to change the course. So, if you're using your textbook as your basis for deciding your revision schedule, you need to make some alterations. They've added in the momentum topic, which really comes under forces and motion, and as a consequence they've downrated the transistors and capacitors topic. So as I say, if you're using your textbook to decide on your revision schedule, you need to cross the transistors and capacitors out. There's no point in spending lots of time learning that stuff, uh, because as I say, it's uh, very, very unlikely now to turn up as a question, and put momentum in, even though it isn't in your textbook. It is, however, part of the normal GCSE um, that everybody else takes, and so uh, you'll find there's plenty of revision materials online if whatever you've got in your exercise book is not good enough. So uh, have a look there. Momentum is the value you get when you multiply an object's mass by its velocity. That makes it a vector quantity, because velocity, of course, is a vector, and multiplying it by mass won't alter that, so it's a vector quantity. Its significance comes from Newton's second law. Uh, if we rearrange Newton's second law and we take the F equals MA that you're all used to and we replace A with our other equation for A which is acceleration is equal to the final velocity minus the starting velocity divided through by time then we end up with an equation that says the force is equal to mass multiplied by the final velocity subtract mass multiplied by the starting velocity all divided by time. In other words, the change in momentum, the final momentum subtract the starting momentum, divided by the time taken, gives us the force. Um, this is actually how Newton thought of his second law, that uh, force is proportional to the rate of change of momentum, because of course dividing by time makes something a rate but uh, we don't use it that way very much. Uh, we use uh, sort of the two other consequences of this uh, rearrangement. One is, if we take t across to the other side, we get force times time is equal to change in momentum. And this is one of your required equations now. Force times time is equal to change in momentum. Force times time is also a uh, quantity which has a name. That quantity is impulse. And impulse is also a vector, because force is a vector, multiplying it by time doesn't change that. So we've got the vector given by force times time is equal to the vector given by the change in momentum. And if you think about it, it's fairly uh, obvious that this all should be true, that the change in momentum, you're used to the idea of momentum because we use it in normal language, the change in momentum of an object is given by not only the force being applied to it, but how long that force is applied for. So force times time is equal to change in momentum. Impulse, the name of force times time, is equal to change in momentum. And you can see that it's fairly straightforward to give uh, calculations that involve uh, discussions of that. Crashes, for example. Cars starting off at uh, 20 meters per second has a mass of 800 kilograms. Smashing is into a wall, comes to a standstill. What's the impulse? Well, the impulse force is the change in momentum. It started off with a momentum of 20 multiplied by 800. So it started off with a momentum of 16 times 10 to the 3 kilogram meters per second. That's the unit for momentum, kilogram meters per second. It ended up with zero because it crashed into a wall. 
and so the change in momentum was 16 times 10 to the 3 kilogram meters per second and that's the impulse in this particular equation so pretty easy to ask questions about and you will get uh, questions turning up in the exam on that one however there's also a consequence of Newton's second law that says if there's no external force acting then there can't be a change in momentum because F is proportional to the rate of change in momentum and so if F is zero the rate of change in momentum has to be zero well you might say well that's trivial isn't it and if there's no force acting something's going to carry on going at the same speed same velocity you know that's Newton's first law well yes it is trivial if you look at it from that point of view but if we take a broader perspective then you can get some interesting things happening and that broader perspective says well what if I've got a system and there's things happening inside my system but there's no external uh, there's no overall force from outside of the system and so what that tells us is that uh, if there's no overall force acting from outside of the system then the changing momentum within that system has to be zero even if things are happening within the system the total change in momentum in that system has to be zero well how does that help well of course if you imagine two things colliding providing we can ignore friction which would be an exterior force providing we can ignore friction then when two things collide there's no external force other than the two things and therefore the momentum of those two things before they collided must be equal to the momentum of those two things after they collided because of Newton's second law and this is called the law of conservation of momentum if there's no external force acting the total momentum in a system before must equal the total momentum in a system after and that's also easy to set questions about and questions on that are more likely to be the ones that turn up in your exam so we'll have a quick talk about how to do those after this piece of music system we've got no external force i.e. we're ignoring friction we're assuming that friction and air resistance are negligible or the other way they can do it is they can say what's happening the instant after the collision because in the instant after the collision then friction and air resistance haven't had a chance to act and so you can calculate the velocities after the collision because of the law of conservation of momentum uh, providing those external forces haven't had an opportunity to act or aren't acting at all so uh, how does it work well if we think of a sort of straightforward case imagine a pair of snooker balls rolled towards each other 
if they are exactly the same mass and they're rolled towards each other with the same speed, they've got different velocities because they're going in different directions. One will have a positive velocity, one will have a negative velocity, which actually means that their total momentum will add up to zero. So the total momentum before is zero, and therefore, because we're ignoring external forces, the total momentum after must be zero. So what could that mean? Well, it could mean that the two balls come to a standstill when they collide with each other, but it could also mean that they rebound back off each other and roll away again at the same speeds, but once again in the opposite direction, so with opposite velocities. And so the total momentum remains zero. And so that's one possibility, not a very interesting one to do maths on. Uh, the other possibilities, and they really do need a diagram. You do need to be able to mark on a picture what's happening. So uh, if we imagine, um, uh, quite often I use supermarket trolleys, so if we imagine a supermarket trolley that's rolling in a direction at, what shall we say, at uh, 3 meters per second, and it has a mass of 160 kilograms, then it has a momentum of 3 times 160, which um, I can't do in my head, what does that turn out to be, Four, 480 kilograms meters per second. Okay, so that's our supermarket trolley rolling along. What if it bashes into another supermarket trolley? The second supermarket trolley has exactly the same mass, but is stationary. So its starting momentum is zero. So what happens afterwards? The two of them join together. You know how supermarket trolleys do. The lid lifts up and slots in the back. The two, the two join together and carry on rolling. What speed do they carry on rolling at? And that's what we've got to work out. Okay, so let's uh, let's break that down. We have a starting momentum of one trolley of 480 kilogram meters per second. We have a starting momentum of the second trolley of zero, and therefore our total starting momentum is 480. We then have uh, after the collision, we have an unknown velocity of the two joined together. We don't know what that is, and we have the mass of the two joined together which is now going to be 320. So, what have I got? I have 480 is equal to uh, V1, the thing I don't know, multiplied by 320. Our, start, our initial momentum must equal our final momentum. Our final momentum is this unknown velocity multiplied by the mass of the two trolleys joined together, which is 320. And therefore, I get the final velocity of the two trolleys joined together, V1 is equal to 480 divided by 320, which looks to me like it's going to come out at 1.5. Therefore, after they've joined together, our two trolleys carry on rolling forwards at 1.5 metres per second. Perhaps you're not surprised. Um, two things, same mass, um, one stopped, one not. When they join together, they carry on rolling afterwards at half the speed they were travelling before, providing there's no external force acting. Before we move on, a quick word on kinetic energy. The Kinetic energy is not the same as the momentum. Kinetic energy has a squared term in it, and that squared term makes it more complicated and makes it perhaps more interesting. And of course, it's not a vector. Momentum is a vector. Kinetic energy is not a vector. It's a scalar. So they're not the same things. And if we quickly think about the energy, the kinetic energy of the trolley to begin with, well, one of them has kinetic energy of zero. The one in motion, it's a half mv squared, so that's a half multiplied by 160 multiplied by 3 squared, comes out at 720 joules. Afterwards, 
we've got one and a half meters per second and a mass of 320. So we've now got a half multiplied by 320 multiplied by one and a half squared. And that turns out to be 360 joules. In other words, the kinetic energy before and after are not only not the same, it's actually halved. It doesn't always half, it's just the, the way this question is set up. But the kinetic energy afterwards is lower. And that, of course, is perfectly reasonable. Because you know that when the two trolleys crash together, there's going to be a crash, there's going to be a bang, there's going to be motion, there's going to be heat, there's going to be sound. And so, of course, the kinetic energy afterwards is lower than the kinetic energy before. So although momentum is conserved, energy does not have to be conserved. Okay, So this is perfectly physically reasonable, these calculations. The uh, momentum is conserved, provided there's no outforce acting, but energy does not have to be conserved within the trolleys. Of course, it is conserved overall, but it's become heat or something else. So, uh, just a question, just something to bear in mind. They could ask you a question where they included energy. Okay. How to uh, summarise all of this? Well, first thing is, of course, the questions can get a whole lot tougher. If we think back to our impulse question, they could tell us that the collision only took, I don't know, 0 0.03 of a second. And then ask you what force is the wall exerting? And we know that we've got 16,000 kilogram meters per second as our impulse. That's equal to force times time. We know, now know time is 0 0.03. So we can work out the force by dividing 16,000 by 0 0.03. So they can make uh, the impulse questions more complicated. They can make the collision questions, uh, the law of conservation of momentum questions, much, much harder by having... Um, the two things not joined together, so they're both in motion afterwards. So they're both in motion before, they're both in motion afterwards. That gives you a lot of things that you have to think about and put in into an equation. But uh, the process is the same. Work out the total momentum before, work out the total momentum afterwards. One of them will be an unknown. But it really needs a diagram, so I'm not going to attempt one of these whilst I'm talking to you here on this podcast. When I, the only way I can do these questions is by drawing a little cartoon. What are they doing before? What are they doing afterwards? Marking on all the arrows, all the directions, all the velocities. And then I can think through what's happening. I can't think it through without that cartoon. And let's be honest, if I can't, chances are you can't either. So we're not going to do it in the podcast here. So to summarise, what have we got? Well, we have momentum is equal to mass multiplied by velocity and therefore has the units of kilogram metres per second. We have two laws, two, an equation um, derived from Newton's second says impulse, which is force times time, is equal to change in momentum. Or FT is equal to MV minus MU, where V is the final velocity and U is the starting velocity. So that's a, that's a useful equation. They can give you problems where you have to use that equation. And then we've got the law of conservation of momentum. And the law of conservation of momentum says that if there is no external force acting on a system, then the total momentum at the beginning of the system must equal the total momentum at the end for that system. And most often in physics questions, that means things colliding colliding and bouncing off each other, colliding and joining together and becoming one thing moving afterwards, but for somehow they're going to collide. You're not going to know one of the values, and you have to write down an equation that says the total momentum at the start equals the final momentum at the end. And from that, 
work out whichever value it is they have not given you. So there you go, momentum. Mass multiplied by velocity, uh, change in momentum, is equal to impulse, which is equal to force times time, and momentum is conserved, providing there is no external force acting.